0: What I realized early on in every context I was in is that at best, a preacher, if you're really walking with Jesus and you're, and you're, and you're following him and, you, and you're seeking obedience and holiness, then you're reading and God's doing a work in your heart. And we have a tendency to think everyone's like that. But what I'm realizing is that it's hard enough for me to be like that. And most people are not reading the Bible every day. They're not reading commentaries and books about Jesus, and they're not surrounded by godly people. And so they're not there. And so I'm like, oh, I need to communicate. How do I communicate the gospel to the hard heart? I got to break up ground, right? And how do I communicate to the shallow heart to try and get some of the things that are keeping them from being deepened? And how do I communicate to the heart where there's the gospels bearing fruit, the words bearing fruit, but there's other things choking it out. And at the same time, how do I keep them long enough? Because that's not a one sermon process.
1: Welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 184. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and today's guest is Pastor Daniel Fusco. And he and I have a great conversation, and I really try to serve you well by really playing to his strengths and speaking about not just what we say, but also how we say it and maybe who we're saying it to. Uh, You know, Daniel really believes that there's at least four different kinds of people in our church. He's drawing on the parable of the soils that Jesus um, gave us. And in this conversation, Daniel speaks about the ways that we can address not just the good soil, but also the hard soil or the shallow soil. We also get into some of the nitty gritty about um, the first sermon in a new series, and also when you should start and end series in the calendar year of your church or your preaching calendar. Anyway a great conversation. I know that you're going to benefit a a lot. Hey, at the end of this episode, we have an invitation from Al Pittman inviting you to our Colorado training weekend, which is coming up September 17th and 18th. Hopefully you can make it in person or join us online. All right. I'm going to get out of your way and let you listen to my really informative conversation with Daniel Fusco. Well, hey, and welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I, our guest for this week is uh, Pastor Daniel Fusco. Daniel, good morning. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, I'm so happy to be here with you, Mike, and just everybody who's listening in.
1: Uh, well, I got some some exciting questions. I bet you're going to have some exciting answers. Um, I'm just going to like jump actually just super straight into it. Uh, Daniel, you've preached a lot of sermons in a lot of different places, um, can you remember the first one that you ever preached? What was your first time preaching God's
0: word? All right. So, you know, I do remember the first sermon that I ever preached. It was about 22 years ago, and I was uh, living in Southern Oregon at the time. And, uh, for, and I, I preached a sermon for my good friend, Luke Freshette. He did this Thursday night Bible study at this coffee shop called Jesus Seekers. And uh, it was cool. He was going on a mission trip, uh, and he was going to get engaged, which makes it super uh, exciting for him. You know, he's on multiple yeah, missions yeah. at the same time.
1: Hopefully it was mission accomplished. Did, did she
0: say yes? She said yes. They're married. They got like eight kids or something now. And he pastors this great church on the Southern Oregon coast, uh, or the Northern Oregon coast called uh, South Beach Church. So he asked me to preach. And, and I preached on First Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 and following. Like, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in love and faith and impurity. And, and uh, it, it, what was really crazy is about 15 people at this Bible study but two of the people was my pastor's wife and their uh daughter, which was horrifying because I'm like, oh, you know, it's like, and I'm like i I'm a baby believer. And so, like, you know, you'd see your pastor and then you'd see their spouse, and you'd be like, man, they are like, these are godly people. And I remember I was just horrified. And 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 she was like, uh, her name's Paige, and she was just like, she's like, Daniel. God's got you know you're gonna do this for Jesus, like and I'm like I have no clue what I'm doing, and she's like, "Oh, I know, but you'll learn, but you got like God's gonna use you in this way, and that was the first sermon that I ever preached
1: uh that's that's that positive feedback uh, or even i don't know would you would you would you describe what Paige did as like positive feedback or like a prophetic utterance over you or or somewhere in between?
0: Um, I think it was probably a little bit of both. I mean, I, I, she, I'm sure she realized, given, you know, the fact that she was the, 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 the senior pastor's wife, that her being in the room is a little bit jarring for somebody. Uh, and especially, you know, like a baby believer like me. I mean, I was like 21 years old. I've been walking with Jesus for like eight or nine months or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, but it, it was something, you know, and I think for every uh, preacher along the way, there's probably people who have said, hey, like God's got his hand on you, like, or, or, or there, this is a gift that God has given you. And I, and I do think God uses those, whether they're prophetic and, or, or people are just being encouraging, yeah. uh, that we, we need those encouragements to, to develop and to keep going uh, in the art and craft of preaching, I'd say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's great. So you preached your guts out to 15 people. And was there kind of a long gap between your first and your second? Or did that just draw you in to the
0: weekly rhythms? Well, so what was funny was, is so th- he was on this mission trip for like a month. So I got like five, I got like five weeks in a row. So like, I was like, I jumped in, I'd never taught a Bible study before. And it was like, boom, 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 uh, a sermon a week, jumped right on in. And then uh, in that time, I had just moved back to Southern Oregon from the San Francisco Bay Area where I was serving. Alongside uh, uh, my, you know, uh, the, the man who I apprenticed for ministry with, uh, Pastor John Henry Corcoran, who you know well, is from Ireland, and um, so I actually, right after those Bible studies, I moved back to the San Francisco Bay Area and I became like an intern at that church and started a Thursday night Bible study. So it was, it was pretty much like I went from never preaching to preaching pretty regularly uh, and just kind of working it out on the job. Yeah.
1: So from one Thursday night to then all of a sudden, every Thursday night for for quite a while after that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think, and that's, you know, everybody knows that, that, you know, you only become good as a preacher by doing it. And so I I had an older pastor say to me one time, he said that uh, in the beginning, he's like, this is not biblical. He's like, but when you're a a new teacher, you know, uh, the first four years, everyone who hears you, they, they're the practice sheep and because by God's grace, they'll, they'll get things from it, but you don't like, it's just, it's just awkward and you don't know what to do. And you, and you don't, you haven't made all the mistakes yet and you haven't worked out like, how am I going to navigate that? And, and how do I communicate and how do I understand God's word? And, and with each passing week and each passing study session and sermon, and, you know, uh, we're just constantly picking up tools. It's like being a rookie quarterback in the NFL or, or, you know, a rookie you know, a uh, football player, you know, in, 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 you know, in the Euro cup, it's like, you were great in coming up, but then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're in that level. And all of a sudden like, yeah, I was good, but I don't know what to do right now. And it, it takes time for the game to slow down a little bit and for us to keep our heads and our hearts in the midst of it.
1: Yes, certainly. And, you know, I don't know if it was the same person that told you that told me, but one of my mentors said something very similar. Uh, he said that your first 200 sermons are going to be terrible. Um, so he says, just just try to, to get them out of the way as soon as you can, so you could start preaching well. And as you know, 200 sermons is about is is about, about four years. years yeah so maybe yeah yeah so and and there's certainly ways and I, I also appreciate how how your guy highlighted that maybe terrible is too strong of a word because you know these these precious people that they can and they will uh, benefit and gain uh from from what you have to say or what God is saying through his word. But yet there is something about just like getting those reps in, uh, being more comfortable, knowing what works and what doesn't, um, you know, finding your own voice, all of these things, they just, they do take time. They take more than a couple of weeks to figure out.
0: And there's no doubt that the, the power of preaching is not necessarily in our study or delivery. It's in the word itself. And I remember reading about Spurgeon, that great Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, you know, uh, how, he, when he got saved, he went to church and it was a snowy day and the guest preacher who was supposed to be there, uh, couldn't get there. And so one of the deacons, they asked him to preach and he grabbed a passage from Isaiah, you know, and it was pretty much just like, come to me and be saved, you know, cause I'm the only savior. Yeah, And, yeah. and, and Spurgeon, this phenomenal eloquent, you know, somebody who people have been reading the sermons forever. Heard this deacon kind of fumbling, just, you know, saying the verse and then kind of meandering, probably a lot like a lot of our sermons, you know, like to say a verse and you meander a little bit. Yeah. And Spurgeon gets saved. And so it's like, yeah. and is this like it's so amazing. It shouldn't be amazing. But but really the power is how the spirit of God takes the word of God and applies it to the heart of somebody who God is inviting.
1: Yeah, I've 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 heard him commenting on it, or maybe others commenting on it, saying that that, yeah, that that deacon who filled in didn't have time to prepare anything. It was just the spur of the moment. So all he could do was just talk about the verse itself. So no flowery poetry, no cultural analysis, no this or that. It was just like, look unto me and be saved. That's what it says. What do we do? We look. Who do we look at? The Lord. What happens? We're saved. And then just repeat, repeat, repeat. Because it's almost as if there's power in the word uh, more so than our oratory, huh?
0: Yeah, totally. Totally.
1: All right. So, um, you know, this is, this is not one of my written down questions, but, but I'd love, I'd love to hear, I know that you have a, a, a deep admiration and it's a shared admiration that we both have for, uh, not only Charles Spurgeon, but John Henry Corcoran, who you just mentioned as a kind of a pastoral mentor. Um, I, I know that he's probably taught you and influenced and shaped you in, in multiple directions, in multiple kind of categories, but as, as a preacher, um, what did he, how did he help you as a preacher?
0: Oh, so obviously in lots of different ways. So John Henry's background is so funny. So, you know, he grew up in Ireland and so he grew up Catholic and then he gets saved and he ends up in the Presbyterian church, but he's really charismatic at heart. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up getting a book like the Through the Bible by Chuck Smith tapes. And so it's, it's like he was, you know, having come through, you know, uh, you know, Catholicism and then Presbyterianism and but he's charismatic and then landing on. Kind of that, you know, soft Pentecostalism of of of, of Pastor Chuck Smith. Uh, kind of, not only did he influence me theologically, but the, the, maybe the biggest influence he had on me was John Henry was from Ireland, and he's a character, and uh, certainly is, he yeah. and he's a character in the pulpit. And and it was funny at that time, as I was just like a you know wannabe preacher. My the models that I had, like I remember I would listen to Chuck Smith tapes before I met John Henry Corcoran, and it was it was measured, slow, Mm. these long pauses, and all of us, you know, you're a musician, and and I use musician analogies because I play music professionally, you know, that uh, to find your voice as a musician, you go through three stages. Not everyone makes it through three stages, but you go through them. First is your, you know, your orientation phase. You got a guitar, you're just figuring out how to play some notes, how to strum. So you go through orientation, and if you keep going, you'll get into imitation. Where, you, where you're like, man, I really love the way this guy plays the guitar. And you learn all their licks and their strum patterns. And if you keep going and keep progressing, at some point, you land on origination, where you've incorporated all these influences and you've learned all this stuff, but then you have your voice. And I remember at that time, like I would hear like within our tribe, it's like there was Chuck, and then everybody kind of sounded like Chuck in kind of pacing and style. Uh, and it's not a bad thing. But then all of a sudden, John Henry is this crazy Irish guy who like I used to say, if, the, if this pastoring thing doesn't work, you should be a comedian like and, and it was just his personality. And, and I remember John Henry said, Daniel, like God's word is true and it's supposed to be amplified and mediated through personality. So don't try and be like anybody else. Like like God wants to use you as you are because you're his workmanship. And and listen, it's not that you're perfect. It's not that you get everything right, but your personality is fine. And and so don't try and like, because I, I remember feeling like as an early preacher, like I had to be calm and quiet. And, and I'm just, I've never been that person, you know? And so he really invited me to 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 use the voice that God had placed in me before the foundation of the world, knowing that I was going to be on this journey. And so that really freed me up from trying to, uh, overly imitate any other preacher
1: wow because and, and you know what uh, John Henry you're coming on this show one day you I'm gonna get you one of these days um but yeah his his preaching style is very different than yours um did you did you have a period of time where you were trying to preach like him like you yeah there's the so the first one sorry there's the what's the first stage I forgot it <laughs> and then there's imitation and then origination is that right yeah uh,
0: orientation is the first orientation
1: one. yeah. So did you have a stage two? Did you imitate him? And how did that go for you?
0: Yeah. Well, I would say that in my journey, I've imitated everybody I've ever listened to. Okay, And so, and I think that's kind of part of it. Like where like all of us do it, where there's pastors who are like, are ministering to us. And then you start taking on mannerisms and cadences, phrases and style, you know, uh, and that's just part of the journey. Like every preacher is a, is a compilation hmm. of their influences, just like every guitar player. Like if you like music, you could you could like, oh, this guy comes out of like this person, this person, and this person. You could hear that in them. So John Henry's style. John Henry would say, "I'm not a great Bible teacher. I'm a great exhorter," and so I do have a strong exhortational piece that I would attribute to my pastor. You know, and and I remember John Henry would say to me, "He's like Daniel. God has given you a unique brain," and so he would just drop huge books. On my desk, that like, you should read that, like and and like theological books, and he's like, I, I would, he's like, I wouldn't read that because I would fall asleep. And he's like, but well, you could read that. He was like the first guy who ever gave me a copy of Calvin's Institutes. Okay. He's like, you should read this. Wow, you know wow. what I mean? And like, and he's like, I haven't read it but read it and tell me what's in it, you know? And like, yeah, hey, and I just your, love your Presbyterianism it. is showing. <laughs> pres- yeah. And, and like, I was so grateful because I did, my pastor told me to read it and I did, yeah. yeah, you know, and it was challenging and it was way over my head. And I, so I went and I re- went back and read it later again. I'm like, God, how did I process any of this when, when he gave this to me when I was 23, like, yeah, and so, but just that, uh, that ability. And I think all preachers do that. Like we pick up things from different people and, Ultimately, you know, and we all know it. it's like there's that old phrase that if you if you quote one person, you're plagiarizing. You know, and if you and if you quote 10 people, you're doing research. And if everyone just if, if you integrate everyone into into what you're doing without quoting them or, or, or completely mimicking them, now you're an original. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, yeah. I, and I think preaching kind of works that way for all of us.
1: Yeah. And is it possible, do you think, that someone can maybe skip the orientation and then the imitation and just go straight to that origination? Or you like are those two first ones, are they kind of the inferior stages that we should rush through as soon as possible? Or do you do you think of those things as like natural and important steps in our development?
0: Oh, they're natural and important. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, and I, I don't I think that um yeah, I mean some people like I I'm sure when I started preaching I didn't Like, I was grappling not to try and be like other people, but um, I I wasn't able to not be who I am uniquely. But I think what happens is is it's not only just voice, it's like, what are you trying to do in the pulpit? And so much of preaching, I think, is driven by context, by gifting and calling, you know? Um, And so like the context that I've preached in and the, the, what I believe God is asking of me as a pastor and as a preacher is also unique. Uh, and, and so that will also shape like what's your goals? Like, like what do you think you're supposed to be doing there? Like the questions behind the action. And so uh, I think that those type of things also play a, a strong role. Like, like one of the things I always tell people when I'm talking to preachers coaching pastors, you know, I'll, I'll say, what are you, what are you trying to do on Sunday morning? You know, and people was like, preach the word. And it's yeah. like, well, well, hold on. Yeah. But what are you trying to do with the word? I'm like, are you trying to be a seminary professor? Are you trying to show people the great books that you've read? Are you trying to transfer information? Are you trying to reach the lost? Are you like it's like we and depending on what you're trying to do, that will actually guide what you're doing,
1: you yeah. know. So, Daniel, what are you trying to do on a Sunday morning?
0: Well, I'm just so happy that you asked. Like, you know, like <laughs> way to
1: feed me a question. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's like so. Like for me, what I realize is a couple things: is that one, like I've always ministered in what what in the West we would say are extraordinarily liberal environments, not like not even non-Christian, like never been Christian environments. My, my home state of New Jersey, you know, the San Francisco Bay area. And now I live just outside of Portland, Oregon. So like, like I'm literally, I've ministered outside and in three of the most liberal cities that drive liberalism, non-Christianism, not liberalism, but just politically. I mean, like cultural liberalism as it exists in America. So I've always been in that context. I've never been in any sort of a context that is, man, there's a strong church culture. There's like strong Christianity. And so for me, you know, one, I believe that Sunday morning should be the most, should be uh, the greatest outreach that the church does. And I believe that from a biblical standpoint, not just like a because like the day of pentecost was one of the greatest evangel you know evangelistic moments in the life of the church it's like the the early church like the church was being added daily those who were being saved and so so for me it's like how do i communicate with the loss now i also realize that there are believers there so i always say that my goal on a sunday morning is to communicate the word of god to all four soils of the parable of the soil okay if i were to break it down it's like there's the four soils there's the there's the good soil, you put the seed in and stuff grows. And I think for most pastors we're like, man, I'm just gonna put the word in and it's all gonna grow. But actually that's only one of the four soils. And if you pass it for any length of time, you realize actually the people in, in the congregation, they actually, very few of them have good soil. You know, so you have, you have the good soil. And then of course you have the, if you do it in the right order, there's the hard soil, the wayside and the idea is it's like a, a, a trail that people have been trampled down. So you can't even get the seed in. It sits on the top and then the birds of the air come and take it out. So you have hard heart. Then of course you have the shallow heart. It's Mm -hmm. like there's a little ground, but there's rocks in there. Gets it a little ways, it pops up. And right as things happen, the sun comes up, it dies because it's shallow. So you have the hard heart, you have the shallow heart. And then of course you have the thorny heart, which there's a lot of room there, but there's other things growing in there. So the thing grows up and it gets choked out. And then you have the good soil, which it just, you know, bears a harvest. And so, what i realized early on in every context i was in is that at best a preacher if you're really walking with jesus and you're and you're and you're following him and you, and you're seeking obedience and holiness then you're reading and god's doing a work in your heart and we have a tendency to think everyone's like that but what i'm realizing is that it's hard enough for me to be like that hmm. and most people are not reading the bible every day they're not reading commentaries and books about jesus and they're not surrounded by godly people and so they're not there And so I'm like, oh, I need to communicate. How do I communicate the gospel to the hard heart? I got to break up ground, right? And how do I communicate to the shallow heart to try and get some of the things that are keeping them from being deepened? And how do I communicate to the heart where there's the gospels bearing fruit, the words bearing fruit, but there's other things choking it out. And at the same time, how do I keep them long enough? Because that's not a one sermon process.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask like because you mentioned a few moments ago that that preachers tend to preach towards the first soil they te- we tend to preach towards the good soil and but yet that is let's say twenty five percent of the congregation if that if that um, but yeah so so and then you went on to kind of explain but I'd love to hear if you have any more thoughts on like why why is it that we address like the the most flourishing minority within the church and possibly be ignoring the other 75%.
0: Well, I think the reason we do it is because I think, and it's, I don't think it's intentional and I don't think it's malicious. I just think that like, there's a part of sermon prep that is deeply ministering to us. Hmm. And so like, we're getting blessed by it and we want to share it. which is what happens. It's like, you know, you go to a great restaurant, you're like, man, I went to this great restaurant. So like, I heard this great band, like, you know, like, oh man, like I read this great book. And so we want to share it. Yeah. But what, but I think it's kind of like, if you've ever, um, if you're not technologically inclined and you go into a store that sells technology and if you go on in there and if the person who's selling you is like a, you know, a geek for technology in all the best ways, Mm -hmm. They're like, man, I need a computer. And they're like, oh, man, you're going to love this thing. It's got retina <laughs> displays. It's got a dual core processor. And 95% of the people who hear that they glaze over and they're like, does it do email? <laughs> Can I get on the internet? <laughs> right? And it's like, and I think pastors do the same thing because we get it. We're excited like, oh my God, I read this book and, man, look, and this guy said this. And, and, and what I have found is that if people aren't there, they just glaze over. And so like, it's the same thing. Like one thing you'll never hear me do, not because I'm against it. I'll never read a long quote quote out of a book other than okay. from the Bible. Okay. Because what I've watched in 20 years of being a pastor is that every time the preacher like reads this long quote because it blessed them, you watch everyone's body language and they sit back and then their eyes glaze over. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, it's hard enough to read a deep quote if you're not deep. And then hearing someone read, and so I'm like, oh, I'm like, we're losing people, but it's not malicious. It's simply that we're not thinking like everybody else. We're thinking like a pastor. And so, like for me, what I've realized is that when a, when a when a pastor preaches only to the good soil, you have literally cut off, I would say, eighty percent of the people in your community from really growing and learning. That doesn't mean that we. Sh- soft pedal the the word. doesn't mean that we teach uh, Christianity light. It doesn't mean that we stay superficial. You just have to realize that you are way overshooting the very people that God loves and sent Jesus on a rescue mission for in your community.
1: Right. Yeah. Wholeheartedly agree. That's a great, great insight. And and maybe I would add a small thing is that maybe pastors, we tend to spend a lot of time with the good soil people, Um, because they're the ones who come to prayer meetings, you know, they're the ones that come to, you know, if you have a discipleship group, they're the ones who sign up. And so, um, you know, we want to be investing in, in them or people like them. And if they take up a disproportionate amount of our, of our week, I don't mean to say disproportionate as in they don't deserve it. Of course they do. But yeah, if we just kind of remember this, these eager people that are scheduling time with me, um, they're not like the rest of the congregation. And then, to even bring the camera out further, they're certainly not like the rest of the city that I want to reach, so it's a, a fraction of a fraction, so that this is really good. No one's talked about this before.
0: <laughs> Thanks for bringing this up yeah, I'm happy to. One of the things that I tell people all the time is that we should study our um, our exegetical work in our offices, mm-hmm. and we should work on our application in the coffee shop okay because here's one of the things that I've learned is that like when i'm surrounded like by my books and my, and my Bible program. And I'm in like deep, I'm um, understanding what the text means. Like it means what it means, no matter what my community looks like. Sure. But then like, how does this relate to my community? And one of the things that I always tell people is that like, like, if you want to reach lost people, which I think every pastor should, because God's not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. And if you want your Sunday sermon, your, your large group gathering of your church to do that, if you don't talk to those people in your in your messages, then they're not going to be there. And I really believe it's like the if you build it, they will come. One of the things that that I learned along the way. I mean, also I was planting churches in the San Francisco Bay Area, so like at every at every gathering, there was someone there who was not a follower of Jesus, right? So I would start to do, I would stop doing things like, well, listen, if you if you know the fool has said in their heart there is no God, so. You know, those atheists are fools. It's like anyone who's, who's an atheist, they leave. But if you say, now listen, like I say, this at like Crossroads. I'm like, now not, not everybody here at Crossroads is a follower of Jesus. And if you're here and you're exploring Jesus, we want you to be here. Right. This is, we think this is a great place for you to, to, to explore and learn about Jesus. And listen, everyone's on a different step of their faith journey. Everyone in this room is on a different step. What they're learning, what they're grappling with, what they don't understand. And if you're here and you're like, yeah, I don't even know if I believe you. Listen, you are welcome to be here. We want you to grow here. But let me talk to you about that for a second. You know, and it's like what you're doing is not only you're doing evangelism, you're also doing apologetics and you're also doing great discipleship because you're teaching your solid people how to do evangelism, how to do 100%, apologetics, 100%. you know, and so it's like and that awareness of the four soils and not only like the four soils in the hearts of the people of God. But the reality that those soils exist in the community who are outside of Jesus where you live, when you start thinking, like, there are different groups of people who need different things. So, like, like I just taught a, a message on Psalm 119 verses 1 to 6. I'm doing the series, you know, and I taught everybody, like, the, the first six verses is about, you know, God's all-knowing. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to give you a big theological word, omniscience. I'm like, okay, I want to say omniscience. And everyone said omniscience. People on the other side say omniscience. Omniscience. I'm like, now tell them, you are so smart you are a theological giant. And the people start laughing. And I'm like, listen, it's not about the big word, but this concept biblically, this is the word that the, and it means this, and then I unpack it. And now what's amazing is, is I didn't just choke somebody with God's omniscience. And I didn't lose people who would never even think of the word omniscience, you know, but I taught it to them in a way that anyone where they're on their journey can understand. And, and what's funny is, is after that message, they real solid folks. We have a, I mean, it's an amazing church and, you know, um, people are just like, I love that you taught everyone omniscience. Like, I, I love that you took the time to do that because they're like, man, and, and people got saved during, you know, at the message. And like, so it's like, people are saying yes to Jesus for the first time. And like the guy, people are like, I love the way you unpack that. I love the way you explain that, you know? And like, I just think about this verse, how does that relate? And so then like in the, in the follow-up we're having like, you know, rabbit trails on, on omniscience and what does it mean? Yeah, yeah. But like, we didn't lose the people who we wanted to see get saved because I wanted to teach them about omniscience and I geeked out for a while. Sure,
1: yeah. That's that that's great. And I'm glad you brought up that message because yeah, I listened to it the other day and I thought, hey, I specifically want to talk to Daniel about that message. Um, maybe not, you know, Psalm 139 verses one to six, like the, the, the nitty gritty of it, but I guess just the idea and- you know, we're all preachers who are listening to this. All of us know what it's like to start a series. And there's a lot of planning that goes into it in advance. And, and I bet you have the next, whatever, five or six weeks all mapped out. Um, What, what role do you think the first sermon in a new series um, should play? And what, what do you hope to accomplish when you start a
0: series? Okay. That's a great question. So what, I think it really depends on how long the series is and what you're trying to do so like one of the things that we do at crossroads is we um we start new series at very specific times of the year for very specific reasons so like 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 so we try we call them catalyst sundays there's four of them every year and and they're actually designed um for us to try and have an easy on-ramp for people who are new so like we realize every church their highest attendance is christmas and easter so if, if you actually want the folks who just come on Christmas and Easter to uh, actually continue coming, you should start a new series right after Christmas and right after Easter. That when they're like, hey, man, and it's not like for all you people who never come to church, we're starting yeah. a new series. It's like, no, no, yeah. listen, yeah. you're here. this week. Hey, listen, we are starting a brand new series next week. So I'm always starting a new series in January and I'm always starting a new series after Easter. Now, also where we are, um, we're always starting a new series in the beginning of July. Because I live in the Pacific Northwest, where it rains all the time until June, hmm. and then it's sunny straight for three days. So, like once like the sun hits, no matter what we do, people clear out. Like it's like people are like going, they're like getting their vitamin D that they you know. And you're in Ireland, so you know this. Like, I was. You know, I, I can
1: imagine. I can imagine ministering in a rainy context. Yes, I can.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, like, so everyone mentioned. So, we always start a new series in July, which we just started the, the Psalm 139 series, and then we always start a new series. Uh, right after Labor Day, because schools getting in, never the, like we, we, we've been all over the place for the summer. Now we need to, to to kind of buckle down. And so if you're doing a series and you're going to do like 90 weeks in the Book of Romans, mm-hmm. then I wouldn't really worry too much about your intro because you're going to be in it for 90 weeks. And what you said two years ago is not really going to have a big impact. But for me the the way where the, the the way the context of which we're doing it in and what we're trying to do I normally don't do series that are longer than 8 to 14 weeks 14 weeks is kind of my max not because I think longer series are bad but we're always trying to loop in people have a reason for our folks to be inviting people and what I have found is that it's like hey I'm, you know you know he's he's uh, 8 weeks into a an infinitely long series. People like, well, I missed too much and I won't understand it. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to like overcome their, you know, their biases and their questions. But it was like, hey, there's a brand new series. It's a great time to invite people. And people invite people. Man, I've been away, but now I know you're starting this new series. And so, you know, I jumped right back in. And so when you're trying to do what I'm trying to do, I think the first series is really important because it sets the stage for the whole series. Now, one of the things I never do in starting a new series is give them all the details of the background. There's nothing that makes a sermon, you want to lose people, give them 87 bullet points about the city of Ephesus in the first five minutes of the sermon.
1: Uh, it's like a knife to the heart, Daniel. That's what I do. <laughs> or, or, or that's what I've been doing for a, quite a long time. And yeah, I, like I'll, yeah, like, as we were just even saying earlier on, I find the first, the first message in a series for me Always kind of sucks, and it's always like a real um, disappointment because that is my. I, I've put more work into that sermon than anyone else, and then when I preach it, it's just it's often just a dud. So help me, why is it because I do eighty-seven points
0: about the history of Ephesus? Well, I just you know I did the same thing, like you know because it's just like like we're like it's like man I'm gonna teach I'm gonna teach Ephesians, and so. Here, here's Paul. Here's a, here's Ephesus. It's yeah. like you know it starts. You know the, here's Paul, Acts eighteen.
1: The, here's the background. Here's this and that. Di- Diana. Yeah, I know. I've been there. The whole thing because <laughs> like, it. like,
0: we're Bible teachers. We're like Man, yeah. this. This is the, this is the details. Yeah. You know, and, and what I realized very quickly by watching the the body language and the affect of the people in the congregation, I realized that after like the third bullet point, like they're just like okay. It's the, it's Ephesus, like, and, and and it's not that they don't care. It's just yeah. like, I mean, what if I gave you 87 bullet points about Polo? Like something that you'd, you would like, they just want to know who yeah. is God and what does this mean for my life? Not every detail of what yeah. Ephesus was like in the Roman empire at the time that Paul was writing.
1: Yeah. The history of the, the meteorite that you, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Except me and you, we care. No one else cares. No one else needs to care.
0: And what I would say is it's not that we don't want to give them that information, but giving to them in bullet points up top is not going to get it done. Hmm. You can give it to them as you go through. Like when you get to this point and there's this cultural reference for them, then you, you, you tie that in because sure. at that point it's relevant. So I, what I found is that the first sermon sets the stage for the sermon series. So my job is to actually hook them into the whole series. So I want them to know, even though like I took one to six, I'm like, I'm like, this psalm is gives us some of the most profound theology in all of the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's these things called the omnis of God. so I'm explaining I'm like, don't don't get lost in this, and I'm like, but it's really not about the theology. It's about the awareness that David has of what does it mean to move through this world with a God who knows them and loves them. yeah, and I'm like, and there's nothing yeah. more profound for life than the reality of what it means to walk through the world in the presence of God, with the knowledge of God, with the care of God. And now all of a sudden, and I'm like, and when you study Psalm 119, I, we, we call the series Radiant. And I'm like, there's something attractive about radiance. And I'm like, and what David is sharing creates radiance. Cause it's not a self-generated light. It's us, God is light and God wants to reflect his light into the world through us. And now, no matter if someone is brand new, never been to church before, someone's been walking for a while, I've set the context, like, this is what we're going to do, not only today, but over the next eight weeks. Hmm. And my hope is, then I can get into the text, and and now I'm going to be tying in every message to look at how this reality has the potential to create radiance in our life. That's going to not only be a blessing to us, because there's something about when people are excited in awe amazed when someone falls in love someone's pregnant yeah like they have that glow and this is what it taught us being salt us being light us being the fragrance of christ i have all these images that the bible uses i'm gonna be tying in each week yeah and then i'm gonna faithfully preach the text so it's like it's like i use the first message to set the stage that i can tie all the texts into uh uh-huh. And what it does is I think it invites people to realize that man, this is not just a Bible text. This is like a way of life because of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in
1: and we'll we'll link this particular sermon in, in the show notes if people want to hear it, because we're maybe kind of geeking out on some of the minutiae of it. But even if someone hasn't heard this, I think there's there's still value in thinking through starting off a series. And and I love your idea of of on ramps. Or, or Catalyst Sundays, um, that's something, you know, like I used to be pretty, pretty classic Calvary Chapel and pretty much just like just preach the word no matter what the calendar is. And over the past couple of years, I've really seen the value of these Catalyst Sundays as as you call them. We're in a college a college town. We have a huge influx of people that, that you know, join or commit to our church every September. And it's only been the past four or five years that we've started, intentionally starting a new series in September. And I kind of like, what, what took me so long? Or what what caused me to, to realize the value in making it a little bit easier for people to come along? I guess it's that philosophy from earlier on to think, well, the good soil is going to love this. Who cares if it's Nehemiah chapter nine? Like they're going to love that just as much as if it's anything. And this is a way that kind of self-selects that only good soil comes but that's not the purpose of ministry or evangelism or, or anything. So to make it easy is a, is a wonderful thing.
0: And I think, you know, like you're in a college town. So you have starting and stopping of semesters. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my, the first church I ever planted was in New Brunswick, New Jersey. I went to Rutgers University, which is there. And that's why I planted a church there. And, you know, and I don't think like doing long sermons is wrong. And, you know, coming out of the same tribe and, you know, that same background did it the same way early on. And it's like, but even looking now at statistics of how often people are going to church, now we have digit, you know, we have people online, you know, and, and I think the idea is, is a church exists for the glory of God and for the benefit of the people. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so people can use their gifts and they can yeah. grow. And so it's like, I always say that there's nothing worse than when we do church in a way that is not actually impacting people right where they are or keeping them away. Because like, look, a godly person, I can go anywhere any kind of church and I can get something out of it. Yeah, You know, yeah. but like, at this point, you look at the this, this statistics of Christianity in the Western context, and you realize that there are less and less godly people. There are less and less people who are committed to the local church. There's less and less people reading the Bible, even though we have yeah. podcasts and we have more technology to do it. And yeah. so I think it's incumbent upon us as, as pastors to make sure we're doing everything within our power to make it easy for people, to jump on in, to, to hear, to, to make a context that is receivable. Like I always think of like early Calvary chapel, like, you know, all these hippies are getting saved and they're like, well, let's let the hippies sing their songs. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the advent of contemporary Christian music, it was like so simple. And, but when they did it, they got in trouble for it. Like, like, sure. I can't believe you're you know, like, and it's like, some of this stuff is so simple and it's, and it's at the bottom shelf. But again, it's like, are we willing to take those steps to reach the people that God loves enough to send Jesus on a rescue mission for? And they're, you know, I would say like where this church exists in this community to impact this community in the name of Jesus. So how do we impact it in a way that they can understand?
1: Yeah. 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 You mentioned earlier. Yeah. Churches exist for the glory of God and for the good of people or for, to help people. So let's do what we can to help people, you know? And there's a, a, a friend of mine or a mentor, maybe both a, a friend tour um, uh, named, yeah, Ted Leavenworth. And he's kind of made a, a quick, kind of a throwaway comment once that stuck with me for a long time. Um, he was talking about a, a decision they made at their church. And he's like, you know, some people say that like this, this comes off as shallow. And he's like, but you know what? People are shallow and we want to, we want to reach people. So we're going to, we're going to do things that make it that much easier for a shallow person to come to this church and to benefit and then be turned into a a deep disciple of Jesus. But I just like, people are shallow. Yeah, they are. And if our churches are like so deep that they're inaccessible, um, I think that that's maybe, maybe a challenge. And I think even I'm I'm speaking this to myself, especially to the younger version of myself that had everything figured out back then (laughs) and wanted to be seeker insensitive and all those types of things. And then now to realize like, yeah, God loves people and he's going to use this church to reach them. And if there's ways to make it a little bit more accessible um, while not compromising the truth of the gospel or the integrity of his word, uh, I think it's incumbent upon us to be willing to take those steps.
0: Just so you know, like I just, I so agree with that. And I think so often, like if you think about what's going on in our world today, it's like every church is competing for the attention of the people in their community, not only with Netflix and video on demand, but now also with, they can like, they can listen to any pastor, they can watch any church online, right? And it's like, and we have a tendency to be like, well, the, like none of this stuff matters. Like, it's like, you know, if the worship team doesn't have it together, no big deal. Like our folks are gonna love it. It's like, no, they're not, you know? Like, and 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 it it's true. The most godly people, they're gonna be committed, but that's so true most people are not like that you know and it's like a, and if you're competing for attention like like we we talk about in student ministries we're like we're competing for the attention of our students with high quality video games interactive video games so like if we're not programming in a way that they are getting nourished right where they are we are going to lose them and it's like it's not because like it's like this is the battle of doing discipleship in this generation and and we're either going to complain about the battle or mm. we're going to get into it and we're going to fight the battle because god loves these folks yeah and if that yeah. means we got to get better lights in there then we'll do it if that yep. means we got to get a better worshiping then we're going to do that yeah because we're not going to write off like oh man the culture's lost you know, it is that's why we're here like we're not we're supposed to be joining jesus and seeking and saving the lost and so that reality and then i, I heard someone say that's so powerful not about preaching, but people decide if they could visit a church again, if they come for the first time within the first two minutes of being there before they hear a worship song, before they hear the pastor, it's like, they've already decided, could I see myself here? Very powerful, Uh. you know? And it's like, I never thought about it before, but then you're like, okay, so what are people's experiences when they are walking in? Bad signage might not come back, not nice people or overly friendly people might not come back. People who aren't like them. Like, 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 like if someone shows up, like, you know, you have tattoos, I have dreads, you know what I mean? And if someone shows up at a church and everyone's wearing a suit and they're in their pajamas hmm. and before they even make it into the sanctuary, they see everyone in the suit, they're probably like, yeah, these aren't my people. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, these are some of the hurdles that we have as pastors on how to reach people.
1: Yeah. And and as I hear you say some of that, like I have this inner voice in me, he's still there. And I think that's so shallow. That's so shallow. But then I have my inner Ted Leavenworth that says, but people are shallow and we want to reach people. And that's, yeah. And if you go back to
0: the parable of the soils, three quarters of the soils, if they're equal, 25% for each four, 75% of the people that God loves and sent Jesus on a rescue mission for are in that category. So why would we cater everything to maybe 25% if we're lucky? and right off the 75%. Right,
1: yeah. Well, Daniel, this is this is great. Um, we're, we're kind of, we're at almost at the end of our appropriated time, our scheduled time. Can I ask one last question? The last question sure. is this. Uh, maybe you can give a, as brief of an answer as possible or, or as, as long as you want, but um, how are you currently trying to improve? Like right now, it sounds like maybe you've arrived. I have a feeling you haven't. Like how do you want to get better as a preacher?
0: Oh, so, you know, so one of the main things, so like, I would definitely say that at this point, like, like I, I get how God wants me to do what I do. So um, I'm always, every new book that comes out, on am preaching, I read it. So it's just plain and simple. It's like, it's the art and, you know, like every day I'm learning. So that, like every book I'm preaching, I own, I've read. If I hear one that I, someone tells me about one I haven't read, I go get it. I read it because I want to, I want to be up on what people are saying, how people are talking about it and, and across the whole spectrum. Um, but really what I do now is I, um, once a month, I listen to one of the sermons that I preach and I do an after action on it where I make sure I'm not saying, um, or, you know, or like, or the reality is, and, and I really look at how my delivery is going. Am I making sense? And I always have uh, crossroads is a highly collaborative culture. I mean, there's 12 pastors on staff and, you know, and so there is always a continual feedback loop to me. Uh, just like we have to all of our leaders, uh, everyone's looking. And so there are people like after the first service, they'll come and and they'll say, "Hey, listen, um, you have to be careful with this. This thing kind of, you know, uh, you have to be, ca- you know, careful when you said this, or you left this thing hanging out there, and the implication of this and this. Or hey, you didn't realize that you said it this way, and that might be culturally completely insensitive." Um, and so I have a continual feedback loop that way. Um, and just like everyone else, I'm still studying texts and understanding the word and trying to zoom out from the text I'm teaching and getting kind of broader theological ideas, deepening those ideas. Uh, I kind of always feel like the the Bible is, it's like, you're kind of always coming at it from a different angle. And things that I thought I understand when I go back and read a, a great book that I read 10 years ago, I'm like, I do not know. I don't think I understood this at all, <laughs> you know, and so constantly trying to, to deepen not only my my biblical understanding, but also my ability to communicate it. And so.
1: And all those things sound so like what, what a gift for those people to come up even after that first service to give little tips that you might not have noticed and that are maybe small enough for you to change. Um, that you don't want someone to rush up and say, that was horrible. Can you just change everything? But, uh, if it's a small sentence or if the story needs to, to wrap up a little bit sooner, like that's a, that's a great, a great gift. Um,
0: you know, one of the things I tell, I tell pastors, no matter what your church size is, is that you have to be careful who you invite to critique your messages. Cause some people really just love to like, oh, look, you know, you said Peter, not Paul. And, and it's like, but like, I think if you invite some people who you, who you trust to say, Hey, listen, help me you know, uh, I think what happens for a lot of us, and we all know, like after preaching, receiving kind of any sort of critiques, if you, if you're not armored up kind of feels like you just got, you know, you're a little just wrong. got a knife. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, but I just tried to create a context where not only for our, our pastors and, and our leaders, but also for folks to, 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 you know, to like when someone says, Hey, listen, you know, I was thinking about something that you said, and like, Oh, what were you thinking? And I, I learned from this, the conversations after the first service, you know, uh, and, and giving our pastors just the green light, to like, hey, listen, if you catch anything, if it's something that you're concerned about, if it's something that you really like, something you think I, I should have gone farther in, just tell me, you know. And I, so I'm, I'm now because it's not new, I'm prepared for it. So, you know, and they know, and I'm like, listen, if you think I just totally like, kind of, just totally botched something really bad, just don't come and just like, I probably know that I did, so just be a little gentle because I am vulnerable. Like everybody else, yeah, you know, yeah. and so, but, and that really I've, I've found to be, a, it's a great gift because, you know, I don't realize what I don't realize unless somebody helps me realize it. And I, I, I just want to do a good job. Wow.
1: Well, thank you very much. Um, this is a great place to, to wrap it up. Oh, final, final question. What's the best preaching book that you've ever read? What's a, what's, what's a preaching book that everyone who listens to this podcast should go out and order right now?
0: Okay. So they're all good. But what well, I would yeah. say the, 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 Come on. the best one, <laughs> yeah. The best one is a book called The Art and Craft of Biblical Preaching. Okay. Which is actually uh, it's an anthology from that was compiled by Haddon Robinson. And it's got it's got everyone across the spectrum. Is that right? It, and okay. it's a it's a big volume and it's these little articles about uh, preaching. And the reason I like it is because it 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 spans the spectrum, it's not long chapters. Mm. You know, and I always find like as somebody who's written books, I always found that like, you know, like I'm like they want you to write the book and it needs to be 30, 40,000 words. But really, you could have said it in 5,000 words. Mm -hmm. And so like sometimes you read a book and you're like, okay, so like now we're in the redundancy stage and I already get what they're trying to say. And then if you're kind of OCD, you have to read the end of the book. And if you're not, you just like forget this. And so I love these like little articles about all these different aspects of preaching from prep to delivery to you know, uh, you know, style, all these different things. And for me, I, I'm always reading articles out of it. And I've probably read through the thing five times over the years, but I would recommend it because even if you don't agree with somebody their your disagreement with them will help solidify something that you think you're supposed to be doing anyway, which is a good thing.
1: Yeah. Well, that is great. Thanks for the bonus question there at the end. Uh, well, Daniel, yeah, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective help you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. Well, thanks again so much uh, to Daniel for that conversation. Thanks to you for listening. Uh, make sure that you check the show notes because there's uh, links to the references that, uh, that Daniel was dropping, uh, the art and craft of biblical preaching, um, as well as some related episodes. You know, there's something there from uh, Ted Leavenworth, who we referenced earlier on. And then also, I want to highlight a great conversation that you can find in the links with uh, Greg Howe, speaking about um, seeking and developing uh, church cultures of collaboration and feedback, like what Daniel was speaking about. Okay, so as promised, here is Al Pittman who's going to be the guest for our next week. But um, here he is going to be inviting you to come join him in Colorado for our training event. I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Hi, this is Pastor Al Bittman. I want to invite you to the Expositors Collective training weekend at Rocky
0: Mountain Calvary Chapel here in Colorado Springs. It's on September the 17th to the 18th. Look forward to seeing you there. Hope you make plans to join us. If you want more information, go to expositorscollective.com. That's
1: expositorscollective.com. God bless you.